Hey, Jeff. Long time no see, my friend. Long time no see. Well, technically, uh, I did see you in person, but for the for the the podcast, it's been a little while. I think it's safe to say that we have both been very busy. Yes, we've been quite busy, and it should be clear to everyone that's ever listened to our podcast that we do other things. <laughs> we do other things. <laughs> we've been doing those other things quite a bit uh, the last couple months, but I'm, I'm so happy to be back with you. I don't want to um, let the year end without us getting another episode in the bag. Absolutely. So today's going to be kind of a mixed bag of some questions from some viewers or some listeners. And I've got some other questions for you, Jeff, to, uh, I want to take a little time to look into a crystal ball with you. Excellent. The year end friend to friend interrogation. Maybe that's a good episode title right there. I swear I haven't broken any laws that you know of this year. And oh, wait, you, you probably want to talk about photography. Yeah, we should talk about photography. So, okay, let's do that. Uh, let's go ahead and start with the questions. We'll get the questions from our listeners out of the way. Um, in yeah. fact, I say listeners, both of these questions are from the same listener. So maybe we only have one listener. <laughs> it's certainly possible. And I do want to remind folks that if you have questions for us, you can go to our website, photocombobulate.com. And you'll see a contact us section where you can send us questions. And we'd love uh, getting these. And these are both from Chris. And I want to tackle both of them are completely different. So we're going to tackle them separately. Uh, the first question is taking photos outdoors uh, in the in public eye, right? So going out to a park or some sort of public place with our camera gear. What do we do to make sure that we stay safe and our camera gear stays safe? Camera gear is expensive. What? What do we do to sort of uh, prepare ourselves and mitigate the risk of taking our gear out in public where it might get stolen and we might get beat up, whatever that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to take a stab at that? Well, I I think the the thing I want to stab at is it it doesn't sound like it would be a big deal, but – and. Maybe this is because these sort of things have been elevated in the news, but um, especially – I mean – not to not to point fingers, but especially in the Bay Area, it seems like there have been a lot of instances where you have, you know, people who have been assaulted and their gear stolen, mm -hmm. or you know, their cars broken into, um, and so you know, it's 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 become a very real thing. It's not so much just a oh, there's a guy with a camera, you know, right. doing whatever, you know, taking pictures of birds or whatever. I mean, unfortunately. I'm not really sure what to say other than you got to have a real good situational awareness, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is is really hard when you're a photographer because in addition to all the things that we've talked about, you're talking about you're focusing on your composition and you're looking through a viewfinder and you're you know trying to you know be in the moment and all of that stuff, and then also you need to have eyes on the back of your head, making sure that you don't have anybody that looks overly sketchy or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, 
if possible, I think ideally you go with somebody else. Yeah. And you you have, you know, something where – I mean it could be that you're both uh, focusing on other things, but I believe there's probably less chance of that. Um, and also I would say as much as possible, like there are ways that you can go out and, and do photography without really advertising that, hey, I've got – $4,000 worth of gear on my back. Right. Um, you know, and and so some of that is also in planning. Go someplace where maybe there's going to be a lot of other photographers. You're doing, you know, sunrise, sun sh sunset shoots, something like that. Um, or, you know, pack real minimally, almost like a street photographer or something that you can just grab, get in and out and just not make it real obvious as you know, some some photographers like you just see them and you're like, that guy's carrying at least a couple of lenses and like don't make yourself a target. Yeah. Even though I say that knowing that you shouldn't have to not make yourself a target, but in some places that's gonna be the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Did I just cover everything you were gonna say? No, no, actually I, <laughs> <laughs> I got a bunch of other things to add. Uh First of all, insurance, be insured. And if you're not a professional photographer, oh, yeah. um, there's really good chance that your homeowner's insurance will cover or your renter's insurance even will cover your photographic gear, your camera gear, even if you're not at home. So check your insurance policies. Um, if you don't have insurance policies, you can get camera insurance. If you're not a professional photographer, you can get camera insurance fairly inexpensively. Uh, if you are a professional and you're using this stuff professionally, you definitely need to have uh, camera insurance. And so I'm really well insured. And uh, I know that if, if it came down to somebody wanting um, to assault me for my gear, they're going to get the gear without a problem from me. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm like, hey, here you go. And I, you know, can, can I take a photo of you real quick um, for the police <laughs> report so I can get my insurance? Uh, yeah, yeah. So can I have the memory card? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would go. Just let me have the cards, right? Um, here's the other thing that I think is really important. Uh, and you mentioned this, don't advertise that you're a photographer and certain photographers that I've seen out in public it could be street photographer, even out in uh, a less urban environment. Um, a lot of times they really look the part, you know, they've got this giant bag, they've got tripod um, cameras. There's things you can do if you're concerned about being out alone, especially uh, with camera gear is don't, don't advertise too much that you have camera gear in your bag. So we've talked about this before. Never. Uh, I don't think I would ever own a camera bag that had a camera manufacturer name on it. So I would never yeah. have a Canon or a Nikon uh, or, or God forbid, a Leica bag that's got a big logo <laughs> on it. Um, that, that would just be silly. The other thing is a tip that I don't think we've ever shared before in this podcast is I really think that the camera manufacturers – uh, do us no service by giving us straps with our cameras that have the name of the camera really big in the strap. Yeah. Canon, Canon, especially they're the worst. It's the bright red strap and it says Canon EOS, whatever, you know, uh, model number on the, on the strap. That's really garishly advertising that you've got an expensive camera. So, um, when I do use a strap, it's a strap that has nothing on it. It's just a simple 
plain strap, peak design strap, which has no logos. Um, I know people that tape over the logos of their expensive cameras. I don't know if that makes a big difference in a lot of situations. Um, most people that are out there stealing camera gear know what that stuff's worth, whether it's got tape over it or not. Um, so I would just, again, emphasize the insurance part. Now, the next part is going to be a little more anthropological. Um, I think that people who steal um, brazenly, you know, are going to go up and assault somebody to take camera gear and things like that. They're going to respond to body language. They're going to respond to um, sort of a, a physical presence. And so I don't worry about this too much. I'm kind of a big guy. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not the easiest target, but um, you definitely don't want to act timid. You don't want to act, um, act scared, <laughs> uh, be bold, be, a, you know, if you need to stand up for yourself, make yourself, you know, stronger looking. And that mm-hmm. can be as easy as just your attitude. And we've talked about with street photography and things, you want to be friendly and you want to be nice, but if you're feeling threatened and you don't want, you know, someone to, to think you're an easy target, then don't look like an easy target. And I don't know what that looks like for each individual person, but yeah, you you and I are both are big Ted Lasso fans, right? And that's mm-hmm. that one episode where uh, Hannah Waddington's character um, builds herself up, right? She's this big, tall, powerful woman, and she's like, you know, and she builds herself up and builds herself up. That's what I'm thinking of. That that's sort of like make yourself look like you're you're not a, someone you want to mess with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, but when it comes well, down I'll, to it, don't 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 get beat up for your gear. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. There's that line where you don't want to look intimidated, but if if the, that situation comes up, there's no good reason to, to, to push it or be aggressive or, um, you know, do that photographer thing. Right. You're like, well, like this is my stuff and yeah, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it, man. It's not worth it. I think your tip too of doing uh, photography and numbers is a, is a strong tip, but it's not always possible. It's but not always possible. If you can go out with a friend and if that friend looks a lot like uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, then you're probably <laughs> <laughs> <be> just fine. <laughs> That's why you like to go shooting with me. I do. I do. That's if you can bring Jeff Carlson with you, you know, <laughs> he just reminded me, I had, I had a friend a long time ago that always tell me, um, I don't have to run. Uh, I, I don't have to run that fast. I just have to run faster than you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and being chased by a bear or something like that. Uh, right, right. So let's go on to the second question. This one's a little more involved, I think. This is a question about um, hard uh, images. So prints, printed photographs. And um, presumably in this question, we don't actually have access to the original negative slide or digital file. These are prints. Let's say they're old family photos. Um, how do we get those digitized? How do we get those into our digital workflow and preserve them that way? And uh, do we keep the prints? Do you keep the prints? And if so, how do you preserve those prints so that they can stay as in good a condition as, as you found them? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to start on this one? Well, no. I, I mean, so so there's a lot here. Like like yeah. the, the things that Chris mentions in his in his uh, uh, message in his question to us was really you know how do you uh, digitize these and then also how do you uh, preserve them and and another thing that I want to make sure we go back to is um, you know what do you do with the hard copy after right um, because 
He's also very concerned about okay, now that I have all these things digitized, how can I ensure that they are going to be accessible for you know years, decades to come? Right. Um, and so I definitely want to want to touch on that because I've done a little bit of research there. But in terms of of just digitizing, my my mom did this a few years ago. She had collected like all these boxes of photos and just went through like this was her project and just digitize you know scanned everything and basically what she did was she had a flatbed scanner mm -hmm. um and i don't know like exactly what's on the market right now i think that you can get like sheet fed scanners mm -hmm. but a lot of those are document scanners right and so for receipts and things like that <laughs> yeah exactly for re receipts and forms uh, and they're great for that i i use that all the time but they're not really geared toward making reproductions of photos. Right. Um, you know, I I am guilty of using – there's an app on the phone that, that Google made. Uh, I'd have to find it. We'll put mm -hmm. it in the show notes. Okay. It's like photo capture. Sure. Something like generic enough that I can't remember it and I have exactly. to go look for it every time. But it's actually an ingenious little app that you use to basically take a picture – of a photo and with your phone with your phone okay but but what it does is it it basically takes four pictures and then stitches them together so you have like a nice high resolution version oh wow. um you you like move it over and it's got a little little indicator and you you know sort of position it so that the little blob shows up you take a picture in and this I and see. this, so this. you're taking it in segments <clears throat> You're, you're taking the photo it, in segments and it stitches them photo, together. It, exactly. Okay. And so, so you're getting a slightly higher resolution version, but you're also uh, – it tends to mitigate glare you know, mm -hmm. because glare is a big problem with, with those yes. kind of things. Um, and I, I've done that and I have many uh, digital images of those, but it's time-consuming and the quality isn't great. Right. Um, there are also things you can go out and do a search on the web for um, solutions where you basically use your camera as a scanner and you you know build like even out of cardboard or something a little mounted thing that will point down and it turns it into like like a little light box. So you put your picture in there, mm -hmm. you take a pic picture with your phone. That's all good too. But I think if it was if you're looking at boxes and boxes of photos, I would invest in getting a flatbed scanner or a, a sheet-fed scanner, something that, that is very specifically designed for taking pictures of – for not taking pictures, for scanning pictures of pictures. Right. That was right. too many pictures. But <laughs> No, no. It, it, I, I tracked with what you're saying. I'm, I'm picking okay, up what okay. you're putting down. So yeah. one thing that I would add to that is uh, a lot of us have the equipment we need to do really high quality images of flat um, prints. It could be it could mm -hmm. be a painting. It could be any kind of artwork, uh, two-dimensional artwork. Uh, if you have two lights or two light sources that are the same color temperature, so let's say you have two LED panels, which would be a good option for this type of work. Uh, and you put them on uh, the opposite side. So I'm picturing like a tabletop and you set up these lights on both sides, angled down at like a 45 degree angle. Um, that way the lights even from both sides. You don't have any uh, hot glare on one side and shadows on the other, anything like that. The other thing is that that 
print, if possible, needs to be as flat as possible so that yeah. it's not picking up any irregularities in light um, across that. And then if, you, if there's a way to mount your camera straight down over that print. So a lot of tripods, that's going to be problematic because <laughs> the tripod's in the way. Um, there's a ways to uh, uh, mount your camera on a pole, like a monopod that you can clamp to a tripod. Some tripods have that ability with the center column to come off to the side. It, however you do it, you could even handhold. Um, you are probably got enough light to work with. You can probably handhold the shot, but you want a lens that can focus fairly close. So a macro lens works great for this. Um, the problem is sometimes macro lenses are like hundred millimeters. And so you can't really get that far from the image to get the whole image yeah. in. So you have to, you have to gauge that. So using your really nice digital uh, mirrorless or SLR camera, you can take these photos but your phone does a good job too, like you said. You know, even uh, without using a stitching program, you know, my iPhone 15 Pro Max is 48 megapixel raw file. It's going to take a really good picture of that print close up. Um, and so I would suggest doing that. If you have a lot, like you said, you're going to need to come up with a solution that's more scalable. There's also the option of sending these prints out. Um, mm. Or possibly even locally. Here in Portland, I've got a guy. Uh, I got a guy. He's uh, <laughs> is, is, everybody's got. You have actually a guy. might be able to mail this stuff to him. Look him up online. He's got a website. It's called Photo to Canvas, and his big thing is he does canvas prints and wraps uh, right there in his shop. And I've taken images to him to have canvases made. But he also photographs artwork, and so he does a lot of this. He's got a studio set up specifically for photographing two dimensional pieces. Um, so if you had a lot of things, you could send it to somebody, but there's also services that have, um, really high end, uh, scanners. And the one I'm thinking of is a provider we've talked about before, which is Bay photo. So bayphoto.com. they have a special drum scanner <clears throat> and I think it's meant for, uh, big negatives and, and slides, but it's a, it's a spinning it's not a flatbed scanner. It's a special optical scanner of some sort. I don't know exactly how it works, but they can do really high fidelity, high resolution um, scans of smaller prints and smaller negatives and slides with that. And if you had a bunch, you could send them off. Years ago, I sent off a bunch of stuff to it. I want to say it's a place called Scan Cafe. I don't even know if they're still in business. If they are, I'll put mm -hmm. a link in the show notes. Um, I sent a bunch of prints to Scan Cafe and they just... I don't, they, I'm sure that was a flatbed scanner and they just bop, 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 bop. And I got a CD-ROM. That's how long ago this was. I got a CD-ROM of all the digital files. So yeah. there are services out there that do that. Uh, did you want to add to that? Well, it, yeah, actually, yeah. because that reminded me. So uh, a guy who used to work at Adobe that I – I met back when I was doing Adobe Go Live. Wow. Uh, writing books about Adobe Go Live. Um, several years ago, he left Adobe and he started a company called Chaos to Memories. Oh, wow. Uh, which is in the greater Chicago area. It looks okay. like I'm just looking him up here. But he does like, – like that might be the answer, especially for a big job like this because – he and his company I – mean, I don't know how many employees he has, but he's running a successful company doing this where you know, they will scan the prints and you know, uh, fix some of them. Like There are all sorts of services that go in service of this idea of you've got all these prints everywhere. You've got all these digital files everywhere and they make sense of them. Mm -hmm. So definitely check that out and we'll put a link in the show notes for that. 
That's great. That's a great tip. So the, yeah. there's another part, two parts to this question that we need to answer. One is, um, what do we do with these digital files? How do we secure yeah. these digital files? And uh, Chris asks very specifically, you know, how can I get this out there enough so that it's probably a cloud backup, right? Backed up on the cloud where other people in my family can access it if I go away, right? Beyond our lives. And I yeah. think about this a little bit. You know, I've amassed a lot of photos. Um, <laughs> if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, God forbid, what are, what are people going to do with my digital images? Will it just sit out there on some server somewhere or on my hard drives until, you know, people throw them away? I think that having an online place, a cloud-based place where you can share these things, something like, I, I'm going to say Dropbox, but I know as soon as I say that, it's not the best option, right? <laughs> um, but Google Photos, uh, Dropbox, but it's a shareable place. I know Lightroom's shareable. Uh, you can share certain albums and things. So I think what I would probably do for for me, because I have a Lightroom-based workflow, is I would create a Lightroom uh, album that's a shared album. And I would make sure that everybody in my life that might have an interest in those digital images uh, has a link to that. But how, honestly, Jeff, how evergreen is that? How long is that going to last? Yeah, I mean, okay, here's the thing. And and this also applies when you're talking about like photo backups. Like you want to have multiple options. Don't Mm -hmm. think that, all right, well, my entire photo library is here and here it is. Right. digitally, that's just not going to work because cloud service might go away. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the history of photo cloud services is, you know, filled with graveyard markers because they, there've just been so many different, different uh, companies that have come and gone. I mean, honestly, like, you know, Flickr might be a good option because they've been around for a long time. But been around for a long time is a real relative <laughs> relative thing. D- digitally speaking, right? Yeah. D- digitally speaking, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the problem with the cloud services is that you're, you're continually paying to do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, yes, definitely have some sort of a cloud thing and especially something that, that other people can access easily. That, that's good. Um, you also want to have – you know, backups on hard drives and, right. and, you know, have people know how to get to those. And then this is where you, you start looking at a little bit further. And unfortunately, so I, I did some research for this for my take control of your digital photos book. And the, the answer hasn't really changed. And the answer is there's still no good digital archiving solution for this. CD-ROMs or DVDs, they don't last like they they break down well um, and how do you how do you, I, do you have a cd drive i i know the answer you do have a cd drive but i don't anymore i have one that i would have to dig out <laughs> and hopefully have a connector and, and a usb adapter you know like is it is it on top of your zip drive <laughs> <laughs> sitting on top of my zip drive in my closet, right? You know what? I I, I have a whole box of zip discs, yeah. and I, and I loaned my zip drive to somebody who never returned it. Yeah, so they're all just they're all just there. Yeah. So, but exactly. we thought those were permanent solutions, but they're not. They're not. Yeah. Um, magnetic tape oh. um, is slow. Mm-hmm. Like 
there are some versions of of, of magnetic tape that, that are being used for archival purposes, but then like that's almost another issue. That's right. that's like sort of corporate archiving. Um and this is gonna this is gonna make you laugh. <laughs> if you want to preserve these, print them. Print them. <laughs> Yeah. Print them. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was just which, thinking. Yeah. Which, which goes back to his question, which was, okay, now that I've scanned all these things, do I just toss out the, the prints? And you're like, no. No, no, no. no. <laughs> like find some place to store it because it'll cost you less to store those, you know, in a, in a storage unit or, you know, your uh, cousin's attic or whatever. Um, and that can be printing, you know, I mean, obviously – I don't think you're going to go print a hundred thousand photos. No, um, yeah. Out don't of your print library. your whole library. Yeah, don't print your whole library. Uh, but that could mean either making your own prints, which is fine, or um, you know, going through someplace like I don't know Bay Photo, some someplace that will do a good job, mm-hmm. not your your local Walgreens or drugstore, or, you know, whatever. Like those won't won't really do a very good job. Well, and you can print them yourself, but make sure you're using paper that's an ink that is rated for a hundred years, right? Archival, yeah. paper, archival ink. Um, we've all made color prints, and they fade and fade and fade. Um, you know, you need to make sure you're making – if you're making prints or getting prints made, that they are built to take, you know, long-term storage and then get them out of the sun. Store them in a dark place that's dry. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking safe deposit box or safe, honestly. If yeah. I had a bunch of family photos um, that were really, really precious to me and I did not have – you know, and I, and I wanted to, you know, ensure that they lasted, I would definitely digitize them so I have a backup. But mm-hmm. I would never mm-hmm. get rid of those original prints. Um, I would do whatever thing I could to preserve them. So I would seal them in some sort of container and, and keep them in a dry, um, dark place. The problem with that is I'm also a, doesn't doesn't look at like it from my office here, but I'm also kind of a minimalist. I don't like having boxes and boxes of stuff. So I think about um, Chris's question it makes the observation that some people just don't care. They don't want to keep this stuff. Um, yeah. You know, if it's boxes and boxes, yeah, it's too much. How much How much do we need to keep is a great question. I would say if that photograph has deep meaning for you, it's worth keeping. If you look at it and go, if the question is, maybe someone else will think this is important, it's probably not worth keeping, right? Um, yeah. I'm not somebody who wants to put that burden on somebody else and be like, well, maybe my kids will think this is valuable. You know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. You can ask them, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm anticipating the day where my parents bring me a box of photos and say, these are yours now. I'm like, great. <laughs> no, what do I'll put them with some other photos. Something else. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is such well, a great question. Yeah. It, it, it really is. And and so to, two more things I want to add. One is that in terms of, of archiving digitally um, – this is a terrible answer, but the answer is basically make sure you buy new hard drives and you you migrate things to the new hard drives. You know the the advantage is you have, your hard drives are uh, getting less expensive and mm-hmm. more capacious, so you can get bigger hard drives for less money. But uh, capacious is a great I word. Love I love that the word. word. Hard drive technology. You know if you don't uh, run the hard drives, they can get old. They can stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, um, you're talking about spinning disk hard drives, not I'm solid talking about state. spinning disk hard drives, but also solid state drives. That's okay, but they depend on a magnetic state, uh, or n- not magnetic, but a um, electronic. Yeah, yeah, electronic state, <laughs> and so you know, like all of that data can be just as ephemeral, and so basically the answer has been. You push your your library to another hard drive and you just sort of push it forward into the future and hope that at some point there's going to be something better. Right. I'm sure that, you know, some places like, you know, the Library of Congress, like they they have much better options and and answers. But I, I, I don't think they do. I think they just have more expensive yeah. versions of what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a tough one because I have a box of hard drives in my basement that I no longer have the connections on my computer for. Right? Yeah. Um, we mentioned this with the CD-ROM drive and the zip drive, but uh, I I have a MacBook Pro with USB-C ports, and so if I am going to connect a drive to that, I need to make sure I have the right pair of bright cords. And so, mm-hmm. and do I have the power adapter? Right? How many of our older hard drives required external power, and do you still have the plug for that, or did you throw yeah. it away? Um, and you can't spin that drive up anymore. So this is a really tough question. I think this does parallel our discussions in the past on digital asset management. I think that redundancy is important. Have backups, have cloud backups, and have terrestrial backups. Uh, mm-hmm. Have multiple terrestrial backups, and make sure your terrestrial backups are uh, as evergreen as possible, so that you can still access them with your computer. Don't don't say, oh, I've got them on that old hard drive down in the basement, and then you find out that that old hard drive is stuck. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's not good. Here's the problem with this question is that it, it, it just keeps leading to more and more details. Right. Uh, but I would say um, a, another thing, like thinking in terms of you have like say a Lightroom library. One thing to remember with Lightroom is all the edits are in Lightroom. They're not in those files. Yes. So maybe what you want to do is you know, maybe once a year, maybe you know the holidays roll around and part of what you do when you have a break – is sit down with your, you know, coffee, rum, eggnog, and <laughs> you take all of your best photos that you took during the last year and just export high-quality JPEGs of those so that mm. you have, like, like the finished version that's, that's archived somewhere. Wow, I never because, thought of that. Yeah, because if you, you know, let's say 10 years in the future, I want a picture that of you and I on a photo workshop or something mm-hmm. uh, that I spent a lot of time in Lightroom editing. Well, that that image file by itself is just the original. Right. And so if I want all of the the edits where I, you know, erased myself to make the photo look better, right. <laughs> cut myself out, then you need like like a, another version of that. All right. And then the last thing that I thought of uh, based on what you said, thinking about those those prints and I don't know how practical this is, but it could also be like let's say you have all of these old photos and all these prints and, and like you just have no place to go. You don't have anywhere to store it. Mm. You don't want to deal with it. It's probably worth looking up like um, historical organizations and see if they would want to take some mm. you know museums. Or um, you know heritage right. 
uh, centers, things like that. Like they might have the the ability and the desire to have photos like this to show, you know, this is what things looked like in the 1990s and then in the 2000s and, you know. Especially if there's events involved, right? If it was like a neighborhood parade, um, you know, 4th of July celebration, that sort of thing is definitely going to have a a museum curator is definitely going to have an interest in taking a look at them at the very least. They're going to take a look. And they yeah. may have some good good ideas like, oh, we can't take them. But, you know, you there's this service in town that will put them in a dry, safe place for you for $10 a year or whatever. I yeah. have no yeah, idea yeah. if that even exists. But <laughs> it's, it's a nice thought. Um, you know, I do remember I worked in museums for quite a few years. And I do remember going into collections rooms, which are basically like that warehouse scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Just racks and racks of boxes. And there are people out there whose job it is to curate and keep those things safe. And they'll always be thinking about the best practices for photo storage. And, you know, I I would say if I had a bunch of prints I need to keep, I would definitely think about how they're stacked, how they're, you know, what's between them. I'd put tissue or something between them, not, not Kleenex, but you know, tissue paper between them. Um, perhaps if they're really valuable um, prints, I would think about maybe mounting them and putting them in something that's going to keep them really flat and safe. Um, I have a tote in the basement. I'm embarrassed to even say this. I have a tote in the basement of, you know, we're talking about a big tote of negatives from back in my days as a photojournalist. Yeah. There's probably thousands of rolls and there's also a bunch of slides in there, pages of slides, but they're all in glassine pages and they're in Mm -hmm. binders. And so they're, I think they're fairly stable. But I do every now and then I go look at that tote and be like, is it in a good spot? Is it where it could get wet? Is it where it could get dirt in there and that sort of thing? And so um, you got to think about that stuff if you want to keep these things. But I got to say, Jeff, I don't know if I need to keep that stuff. That's sort of scratching on my minimalist itch a little bit. Yeah. Well, and and, but but here's the thing. You take photos that were printed, developed, and printed. Let's say before the before the nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. Those are like even though there are tons of them, they're going to become increasingly rare because of exactly what we're talking about. Because everything is shifted to digital, right? And so I have a feeling, you know, in the next twenty years, those are going to become even more valuable, even if they aren't, you know, historically noteworthy or whatever. They they're going to be artifacts of this is what life looked at looked this is what life looked like mm-hmm. at this time and you're just not going to going to be able to get some of those because i think with digital making such an extreme rise in overtaking print right like you're going to be able to look back at a timeline and there's going to be this this sharp cutoff where suddenly there just weren't many prints available right. because all the printing labs went out of business because nobody wanted prints anymore. Yeah. And so that's going to make those even more valuable. Now, <laughs> does that mean you're 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 sitting on, you know, $100,000 no. worth of prints? No. no. But they're going to be valuable for researchers and some of you know. Some of I'm, some a, little of skeptic, <laughs> I'm a little skeptical on that. But I'm okay. I'm yeah. I even think about you know, my box, my tote of, of slides and negatives, there are images in there of events that were newsworthy events that were mm-hmm. significant events. 
And there have been times where I've gone back and dug through them and said, wow, these, these are um, two things. Well, a lot of these are crap. Like I wasn't much of a photographer. Um, yeah, I was young. I, I thought I knew what I was doing. The other thing is it, there are people and things that happened and uh, that I captured that are, are significant. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, every now and then I go revisit that. Like this, this, these are historical things, but that's a small percentage of the overall volume in that tote. Not every page of slides and not every page of negatives contains historical things. Now, all that to say, these are the ones I decided to keep and bring with me when I left my jobs, right? These were ones that I did not want to lose. Um, there were many, many thousands of roles in film <laughs> that um, are probably tossed. I'm sure the newspapers I worked at in the early to mid-1990s do not still have my negatives from those days. I'm, I'd be Probably shocked not, if no. they did. Be shocked if they did. So anyway, I think we we hammered a nail into that one. Uh, yeah. Move on to our third chapter here, Jeff. I want to talk about this year. It's 2023. We're recording this in mid December, and we're it's that time of year where everybody starts talking about their year in review, their favorite photos, their favorite events, and things from the past year. And I just wanted to spend a little bit of time kind of recapping 2023 photographically um, Mm -hmm. and uh, what it's meant for us. It it felt like this year just blew by, just like in a blink of an eye. I felt like this year's gone by quick. Um, How do you feel about 2023 photographically? How did you do? Well, okay. I I sort of feel like I did – Better. I'm, I, I I was going to go back and look at um, you know this time last year or maybe it was was right after the the beginning of the year we had started to think about what sort of goals we wanted to 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 have. Right. And, I remember that. Yeah. Um, I don't actually remember many of the goals. So I guess that's <laughs> probably should have written them down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's in a podcast. It's saved for it's all time. Uh, but I do remember one of the things that that, that we both talked about was um, taking more pictures of people, right? Because you and I do a lot of landscape photography, uh, a little bit of street photography, but but not as much uh, portrait photography. And that was going to be something that 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 I wanted to do, do more of. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to say that I have not nearly as much as I had envisioned at the beginning of the year when I was like, I'm going to go and find people. I'm going to approach people on the street and I'm going to take <laughs> portraits and blah, 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 yep. blah. Like didn't quite get to that point. But uh, I did do some uh, like some paid portrait shoots. Mm-hmm. I uh, took a class on on doing like outdoor exterior lighting uh, and and portrait photography. Um, where I, you know, got some some really good images that oh, I've cool. used in in articles and, um, you know, like good examples and things like that. And so, like, I actually feel like I, you know, made a good couple steps forward toward getting out there more. Um, I, I think in terms of like uh, being a quote unquote professional photographer slash maybe, you know, commercial photographer. Like I, I I did more paying jobs this year than I have uh, maybe in, in any year. Yeah. And, you know, 
that doesn't mean that that I am now a you know full time photographer, not even remotely close. But I've never been a full time photographer. Right. I've always been a writer uh, and and an editor and a publisher and all that. But being able to you know like like I've I, I've taken on some assignments. I I shot two uh, events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really. Maybe it was three events. I think. Anyway, I think it was quite a few. I mean, it's, you've been busy. You've been busy this year. <laughs> yeah. So, like, 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 I've actually been doing things that. This is going to sound super super pretentious, but you know, like trying to walk the walk and not just talk the talk, sure. which is is very easy to do when you're in my position where I'm writing about these things, and so I've wanted to make more of an effort to be able to go and do different types of photography and do it for clients where I'm under a deadline and not just me, you know, wandering around Seattle trying to find pictures of things, uh, which I've also done for other things. But, you know, um, so that that I'm, you know, am more informed on the stuff that I write and, you know, the podcasts that I do and all of that. Um, And I, you know, I wrote a book on editing in Lightroom, so I had to go take a whole lot of pictures for that. So, um, yeah, my my imposter syndrome is telling me like, oh, yeah, but that's that doesn't really count. But you know what? It actually really counts. Yeah. I had a pretty good year. I just can't understand how it's already December. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. It's, it's like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, How about you? I, you know, it's funny. One of the things I do every year is, and this is just a, a practice I, I've done uh, for as long back as I can remember, is I, I do a smart collection in Lightroom um, mm. where I say, you know, any photo taken in this year. And I just have a, I have one for each year. And so if I look back, um, looking at my Lightroom library uh, under collections, I've got this going all the way back to 2014 is when I started doing this. Um, and it's funny. I, you know, in 2014, I shot 23,057. I kept 23,057 images. Um, and it looks like I've hovered right around the mid 20s for several years and then started going down. And this year uh, is consistent with the last three years. I'm right about 17,000 images that I've kept. And I think that's reflective of a couple of things. One is I don't go out and take photos unless I want to go out and take photos. That's That's one thing that you and I both share is that we don't have to go out and make photos for our livings. We like to, we like to do assignments. We like to do jobs. We like to do uh, fun trips and things like that. Yeah. But we're also living lives. <laughs> we've got families and we've got <laughs> projects and things going on. You've got books to write, uh, articles to write and all of that. So I think back to this last year, I really wanted to take more photos of people and I really did. I, I feel like this year I think about all my favorite photos and their people photos. And I'm, I, I want to do more of that. I'm kind of hooked. Um, I went out, I was down on the Oregon coast a couple weeks ago for Thanksgiving and I went out and was trying to make photos, just landscape photos. And it was kind of a pretty morning. And I just wasn't feeling it. I just wasn't feeling it. I've been to that, those areas a lot and I was like, Oh, it's pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, and I went down to the beach in Bandon, which I I just love. And we went there, you know, and I like yeah. I like taking photos there. But unless the light is just blowing my socks off, I'm just like, man, I could just enjoy this. And I feel like I'm entering this phase. And I mentioned this on our we did a little road trip together um, for some fall color. 
And I mentioned this, I'm starting to think of photography as sort of like yoga that, um, it's good for me to do it. Um, but no one needs to watch me. <laughs> right? uh, I don't need to show my photos. I don't need to show my work. It's, it's just a good practice. And I'm starting to yeah. sort of embrace that. I went and photographed a dance, uh, uh, performance of a modern dance troupe in town. And I've got some connections now because my daughter's in dance. And I asked if I could come photograph this dress rehearsal and I went and photographed it and I had a really great time. I shot a ton of photos. Um, I still haven't gone through and edited them. You know, we yeah. went on this fall color trip. I haven't really looked at those photos. I feel like I've done a lot of photos this year and I haven't really looked at them. So maybe one of my things for next year is to shoot less and, and, use them more. Maybe that's a good thing to think about. Cause I feel like the photos I've taken this year, I enjoyed making them, but I haven't enjoyed using them for anything, which is sort of, yeah. sort of heartbreaking if I think about it too much. Um, <laughs> but I, I will say this. Um, I really enjoyed taking photos with my phone this year. I took a lot of photos with my phone. Yeah. I feel like the iPhone has now become, uh, pleasing device to make photographs with. It's not just convenient. It's actually, it gives me results that make me happy. Um, but it's been a year of, of scrutinizing gear, right. And thinking about camera gear and what I want to bring with me on trips, what I want to bring with me day to day. And, uh, I think one thing that hit me this year was I really wanted to scale down. I've, I've brought up the word minimalism a couple of times. I'm really, I'm really starting to think that, one of the things that stresses me out in life is that I have too much stuff around me. That's, that's kind of weighing on me, distracting me it could be responsibilities. It could be stuff. Um, but I've been trying to kind of pare down a little bit and make things a little simpler, which is hard to do with two kids, <laughs> big house and all of this stuff yeah. that I take care of. Yeah. But, um, I got rid of some camera gear this year. I got rid of things that I didn't really need. And I've got a big pile of stuff downstairs I need to get rid of still. Um, but I picked up one thing I, and I want to talk about here just for a second, if you'll bear with me, Jeff. And we're going to probably do an episode on this eventually. But I, I got a Leica camera and I've, I'm not somebody who's lusted after oh, Leica for a long boy. time. Yeah, I'm not somebody who's been like, God, someday I'm going to have a Leica. I've always sort of thought of the brand as a kind of... Snooty. Oh, snooty and overblown, right? Like uptight, like a, like a Porsche stuffy. Yeah, exactly. All those things, right? <laughs> um, pretentious, pretentious. And, and I, you know, we have, I could go on, we could this go on fun. and on. <laughs> we both have friends that, that use Leicas and things. I, when the, the Leica Q3 came out and was announced earlier this year, um, there were several things about it that really made me stop and go, wait a second. This is speaking to that minimalism part of me that's really – I'm starting to try to listen to more. It's got a fixed lens. It's not a system. It's just a singular camera with a singular lens. It's very simple. Um, but it has this incredible sensor, which is almost identical to the sensor in my Sony A7R5, which mm -hmm. I absolutely love. That, that A7R5 has been the best camera I've ever owned, hands down by a mile. And I'm like, wow, if I could get a compact version of that, that I, that, that I could just carry around that makes amazing photos. And then you add to that. There's something about the Leica lens. There's something about that glass that's special. And I was like, God, 
that's really pretty amazing. And so I got rid of a bunch of gear and saved up some money and I bought this and I got it uh, a few weeks ago and I've been enjoying it. The thing that really is amazing to me is it's not an easy camera um, to use because it's so simple. I have to really think about how I use it. It's not like my phone where I can just pick it up and take photos. I, I, you know, I went and we were putting up the Christmas tree the other day and I, I was like, oh, I'm going to grab the Leica and take some Leica pictures. And they, oh, I wasn't paying attention and the exposures were off. And I'm like, oh, it's because the window's backlighting the kids and all this stuff. So I put it down and grabbed my phone and took a few shots to, to make sure I had properly exposed images. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I gotta, if I'm going to pick up that camera, I got to be in, in the zone. I got to be thinking about photography. And not just trying to grab photos. So, um, you know, for me, 2023 is, it's been a lesson. I I think taking more people photos has been edifying for me. Simplifying my photographic process has been fun, has been enjoyable. And it's been a lot less about sharing these photos and about blasting them out there on my website or in social media and more about just the process of making photos and being around people and kind of enjoying that. Uh, enjoying that life. The next thing I'd like to talk about is actually before you, oh, b- do you before you do that, that, you're going to give me a hard talking, time. About, I, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't give you a hard time about, uh, about the, like, uh, it's just weird that, that now both of my podcast co-hosts are, 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 are like a people. And I guess it's a matter uh, of time, Jeff. You guys, you're going to you start, guys. you're going to start looking around your house at things you can sell so you can afford them. <laughs> they, they're absurdly priced. They're absurd. They are. Um, they are. But I get it. You know, you pick one up and you use it and you're like, I get why it's this expensive. Um, but, you know, <laughs> people that I, I'm on several Facebook, like a Q3 groups and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's scary, Jeff. It's, we could do actually we could do an episode someday about Facebook photography groups and why oh god um, why they might be the downfall of Western civilization. <laughs> but um, I'm amazed how many people are in these groups and they're like, I'm selling my um, my Q2 to buy my Q3. My Q2's only got 300 shots on it. I had it for two years. I'm like, why are you buying a Q3? Yeah, if you've only photographed with your last six thousand dollar camera, three hundred. You know how many dollars per shot that is. <laughs> You know, it's, it's incredible. Um, and they don't, they don't hold their value. They're not fine jewelry or fine art. They're, they're technology. And so they do depreciate. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit amazed at the people who go out and buy these things. I'm a little bit sad and ashamed almost to be a part of that culture. That's like, I'm going to drop $6,000 on a camera and then never use it. (laughs) No, 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 no. Look, I mean, here's the thing. These things will will really – I think especially with something like this, like what you put into it is what you get out of it. Yeah. Um, and also I think that it's, it's, it's great that you are now in a sort of rarefied elite no, group. No, don't say of, that. Hang on. I'm going to tape on. over that red dot. Of, of, <laughs> <laughs> you are now part of this community – of dentists and doctors oh. who don't know what to do with their money. <laughs> I'm going to go out and buy some golf clubs just to carry them around in the back of my car, right? Um, no, to, to put it in the back of your boat. Yeah, that's what in the back of my boat. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, um, uh, what I was actually going for there, I, I, 
my intention was not to make fun of you sure. as a new Leica user. That just turned out to be the added bonus of the conversation. Yeah, <laughs> um, was it while you were talking? I made some smart albums to see how much I shot. Yeah, and. Um, uh, because I have things spread uh, around a little bit uh, in Lightroom Classic, I only have like five thousand shots, mm. and in in the Photos app, uh, it's, it's like something like uh, twenty six hundred photos, and some of those are are like screenshots and sure, you know, sure. stuff for my like a- Apple Watchbook. But also when I was shooting some events, I. I imported those into separate Lightroom Classic catalogs so that they wouldn't all be in my my right. big thing because they were they were you know, like client projects. So I, I'm probably like in the eight to ten thousand. I range. bet you're in the ten thousand range because those events that's a lot of images. They pile up. That's a lot of images. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A whole bunch of them never never go anywhere and and should never go anywhere. But that's that's the nature of event photography. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, like that was. Actually, a, a really good quick exercise for me to do because I I come to the end of the year and people start like posting like, well, you know, I read seventeen books and I did this and this and and, and I'm like I'm like like that's that's awesome and I've always wanted to do that and then I've never actually gotten around to it and then it just feels like like a burden to me like like that's just my my impression. Um, but in this case, it was nice to go and see, oh, you know what? That did kind of track with, with the amount of shooting that I did and and more so not so much in numbers but in terms of content and the different types of things that I did. So yeah. to, to put well, a bow a lot on of, that. A lot of your photos, um, aside from the occasional event, a lot of your photos are really selective types of shoots, right? Landscape yeah. stuff. Um Scenic stuff is not going to be thousands of images piled on. You know, I shot yeah. a lot of soccer this year, so I've got a lot of images of kids playing soccer. And, and oh yeah, yeah. You know, out of a soccer game, I might have eight or ten images that I really like, and the rest are just there. And I've been trying to delete the ones that are just not ever going to see the light of day. Um, mm-hmm. But I still end up keeping a lot. These these dance performances, I photographed a few of those this year. That those pile oh, yeah. up, and I need to go through and cull. Um, but I've also done several uh, architecture jobs this year. And mm. I, I look at those photos. I'm like, wow, I, I shot 600 images or 700 images and I gave the client 25. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with the rest of those? See, why do I have them? <laughs> you know, yeah. Great question. Yeah. I, I'll keep them for a couple of years in case the client comes back and says, Hey, did you have any of that particular facet of our work that I, we want to demonstrate? Um, Definitely. But you know, it's, it, I look at those numbers that that number I threw out. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a lot of keepers in there that I'm really proud of. I, if I went through and made a best of list, which I might do at some point, it'd be a small mm-hmm. package of photos, maybe a dozen that I'm really yeah. excited about the, uh, again, it's a yoga thing, right? No one needs to watch me do yoga. But the thing I will say is that having photographed some more people this year than I, than I have in past years, those are the photos I think about. Those are the ones that really I kind of get warm and fuzzy about because I'm like, wow, um, I gave them the photos and they were really happy. And, you know, they were they're meaningful to them and they're not just meaningful to me, which has been really um, satisfying. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and uh, one good way of doing that, which I, I just did in Lightroom, was once you have that smart collection established, uh, you can just filter for you know, star ratings mm-hmm. because I, I use star ratings sure. a lot. So now I can see that out of the 5,252 shots in my Lightroom Classic library, uh, 751 are three stars or better. Wow. So, you know, like that's and some of, yeah, and some of that is, you know, like, like these are things that have been edited. Uh, if, if I bump that up to four stars, I get 56 shots. And I think, you know, like that's that's a pretty good ratio of of like these are good keepers right. that I am proud of or that, you know, needed to deliver to a client or whatever. So, well, and I'd also encourage people, you know, if you're going to do this smart collections, which I love. I love that Lightroom has this yeah. functionality. Um, I, I oftentimes will do equipment audits at the end of the year. Um, so of those 17,000 photos or of those 6,000 photos that you shot, how many were shot with uh, such and such lens? How many were shot yeah. with which camera? And that will tell you whether or not that piece of equipment needs to be in your kit. So that's something yep. I, I like to do in my reflective periods is, is audit my gear as to how much I actually used them, not my, how much I perceived to like that gear, but how much I actually ended up producing with it. And that's, yeah. that's, a, that's the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I sold two lenses this year that I realized I, I just was not using. Yeah. So I, I got rid of those. I mean, I guess if, if you take the, a look at the past year, uh, you should probably get rid of your Leica because you probably haven't yeah. shot very many. Barely used it. Photos. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to box it up right now. Do you want it? <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. I won't buy it from you, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm down to um, one Sony camera and one Leica. I know it sounds like I'm just down to these little – all I've got is this little yeah. thing. Um, yeah. But I definitely looked at all my lenses this year. I'm like, do I need that? And there's a couple that I'm looking at kind of side-eye. Like, hmm. Not sure you belong yeah. in the closet. Um, I really feel liberated not having stuff around that I don't really like. I, I, getting old enough, Jeff. Both of us are old enough that we can be like, if you don't love it, why do you got it? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. So, all that said, we're knocking on the door of 2024. It's going to be a crazy year, all right? We don't have to get into the politics of 2024, but photographically. What do you think is going to happen next year for us personally, mm-hmm. but also in the field of photography? What do you see over the horizon? Okay, so so personally, uh, I hope that this trend will continue, and and I'm hoping that uh, well, I, I guess hope is not the right word because this is up to me, but um, I I want to do more in terms of attracting more photographic work. Okay. Um, Paid work. You know, because yeah. I, I mean, uh, honestly, the, the, the stuff that I did this last year has largely been through word of mouth, friends, um, you know, which, which which is great and it's a great way to start. But I feel like I can do more in terms of just making it known that, you know, I'm available to do, you know, family portraits and things like that, that I would love to do and get more experience with and, and all of that. So um, – I'm trying to think. I don't actually have uh, much travel lined up so far. So, 
you know, like last year was huge mm-hmm. or uh, 2022 was huge because like we did a big Europe trip. So right. that was, I mean, that was a big photographic year. And so this year I'm going to focus more on, um, again, I want to keep shooting people. I want to keep photography, keep photographing, photographing people. people let's be clear. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Let, let, let's get that right. Um, you know, and, and and try to do more event photography because I found that it's it's something that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. which was a, a surprise to me. Um, I still have no intention of doing weddings, and I think that's perfectly okay because totally that's a completely fine. different beast. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think I think twenty twenty four needs to be a year of me trying to push beyond my little photo bubble, and uh, you know. Get myself out there more. Kind of throw is, yourself out there, right? So you're talking about a little marketing, yeah. a little bit of a little marketing. Mm, yeah, I like yeah. it. I like it. You definitely have yeah. the chops. So, um, you know, it, I think family event. You know, these I use word of mouth is so important, Jeff. I, I really think that <laughs> photography is one of those industries that is personality driven. It's not product driven. And yeah. um, most people looking for photographs really don't know the difference between one photograph and another other than they, they just like it, right? They don't know why mm-hmm. they like it. They just like it. And a lot of times the reason they like it is because they liked the photograph. Or sorry, they liked the photographer. They liked the way the photographer dealt with them. They liked the way that they felt with the photographer. Yeah, especially people photos, right? Portraits and things. So the, you're you're good on that, right? <laughs> you're not an abrasive person. You're a great guy. So <laughs> you know that word of mouth is important. I think reaching out to your existing clients and just nudging them a little bit, and like, hey, if you know anybody that needs that stuff, like I did for you, please let them know. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing always makes me kind of uncomfortable, but you know, I would definitely do that. Um, yeah, yeah. Cause I, yeah, I think you're great. So, uh, how about the industry? How about the photography in general? Now, one of the things that you spend a lot of time writing about is, you know, AI and machine learning and mm-hmm, all this, mm-hmm. all this stuff, where are we headed in 2024? Well, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> it's a risky question, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it's a risky question. It's, it's, it's a really good question because if you look at this time last year, uh, there were some, you know, AI stuff, uh, tools, AI based tools and things going on. You know, I was writing a column for popular photography that would have been 2022, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that was covering a lot of the stuff and then generative AI just exploded. And so, I mean, you know, honestly, like, like that has only been a big mainstream thing for like, I want to say nine, 10 months. Mm-hmm. So last December, the idea that we'd be really reckoning with photorealistic text-generated art uh, still seemed like a long way away. So it, it's hard now to think, all right, well, h- how is this going to look, you know, even in a few months? I think a big a big side effect of this is going to be, um, it, you know, I know you said you didn't want to really talk politics, but I think it's going to be with elections going on and uh, unrest and everything in the world. Uh, we're seeing this now. Like, there's going to be a lot of AI generated yep. imagery and propaganda and all that. So, um, I'm I'm hoping, and I think 
I'm seeing some signs of this of people getting smart or getting skeptical mm-hmm. and you know trying to do things having news organizations you know point out that this is something that was AI generated or AI edited right. so that you know people just have like a a level of trust over what they're seeing mm-hmm. because what what you're seeing is not necessarily reflective of reality anymore. And if you can take a look at something and say, wow, that, that pushes all my buttons, hang on, that pushes all my buttons. Right. So I need to get confirmation of this or maybe just set this aside and see if there's another source that, you know, will show me this or that. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be really interesting in terms of, uh, you know, us as photographers and editing photos and things like that, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what is going to be coming with you know more generative AI tools. I mean, my I think generative AI making images from text prompts is super cool, but it's not really it's not really something that that photographers are super into, mm-hmm. or maybe you know like they just haven't gotten into it yet, but if you have something like generative fill in Photoshop where you can erase something that's really distracting and have a very realistic, probable um, replacement put in there, well, that's super cool and that's super useful. Yeah. And right now, Photoshop has basically been the main thing in that game. Uh, Luminar just started shipping its generative AI uh, tools. In fact, uh, we can put post a link. I wrote an article about this on my website yeah. and in my my newsletter, uh, The Smarter Image, which talks about all this stuff. Um, Luminar now has that. And I'm sure all the other big photo editors are going to start incorporating this. Um, it's, it's, it's not easy technology to implement, and the results are still kind of all over the map. But mm-hmm. – you know, things are going to improve. And I think in terms of, you know, you as a photographer taking a look at some of these things, you're going to have a lot more options for making quick, easy fixes that before you may have just glossed over because you knew that this was going to be an hour of work with the clone and stamp tool. Right. Or, you know, you have a a shot of a a wedding or a family gathering or an event and you need to just make everybody look a little bit nicer. You can do that in minutes now versus uh, you know a whole lot of time. So I think I think all that stuff is going to improve. Yeah, I think the um, the transition of AI machine learning photography from gimmicks and fun toys to useful tools is is next year. Um, yeah. I really look forward to. Yeah, in Lightroom or Photoshop, being able to say, uh, I took a f- portrait of this person, but I really wish they were wearing something different. You know, they showed up for their senior portraits in this um, shirt that just the color doesn't work with them or the texture of it, of the yeah. pattern of the shirt doesn't work with them. You know, being able to, to adjust that and, and give the client or give the person a, a photo that kind of blows their mind is, is going to be really nice. I, I've got some... In, ideas for some portraits of friends and family that I want to do um, as a series and give them as gifts uh, that I can't do yet. Right. Like I would, I want them posed a certain way with certain costumes on and a certain background. And that's not something I would ever take the time to facilitate (laughs) physically. Um, 
but I'd love to, you know, I think they'd be tickled to, to get something that looked realistic. That was, that was generated, um, using both yeah, my yeah, photography yeah. and some AI, say AI yeah. help. Um, I think one thing, and I listened to, I want to call to, uh, you and, your other podcast with Kirk um, talked about computers and things, you know, for in the future. And one thing I, that you didn't talk about, and I wanted to call out is I really think that the vision pro system is going to change how we work with photos uh, a lot. Um, yeah. I think we're just going to dip our toe in next year, right? We're going to get right. this thing early in the year, maybe mid year. We'll start seeing um, vision pro Apple vision pro systems in the, in the, in the real world. Right. Um, I am incredibly excited about the technology as someone who wears glasses and does not enjoy looking at a screen, a computer screen. I am really looking forward to having something that is um, wearable, that I can work on a photo anywhere. I have an office with lots of windows. It's like sometimes I come in here to work on photos. And I'm like, God, it's just it's physically not comfortable. Um, yeah. It'd be really nice to be able to sit anywhere <laughs> on an airplane mm -hmm. And work on photos. And I'm very excited about the technology. I think that it's going to change. It's going to be one of those things that we're like, wow, why, why did we not do this sooner? I think it's going to be transformative in how we deal with our images, not only as as in the editing process, but also um, in the cons consumption. I'm really yeah. looking forward to consuming images, both movies and still mm -hmm. photos with this technology where I can sit and kind of immerse myself in it. Yeah. Um, very excited that uh, our new phones can take these stereoscopic, you know, images that we have no idea how we're going to use them yet, but that that technology yeah. is in our pocket already. Uh, being able to consume those images can be really fun. It's going to open a whole bunch of doors. Well, yeah, I, I was just about to mention that because with with the uh, uh, was iOS seventeen point two, if you have uh, a pro camera, fifteen pro, maybe fourteen pro too. I can't. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but, but basically, there's a setting now that will let you record video stereoscopically, and when you're looking at it, it it's just another video. But you know, hey, you're going to be at your family's uh, for Christmas this year. Take some of these videos because in you know six months or nine months you'll already have that and you'll have that content to be able to you know show somebody you know what that was like with that that stereoscopic that depth all of that information already there which is kind of cool kind of a I don't know seems like kind of a bold move. Well, we'll it's, have to see how it goes. I, I think it really is one of those things that once we get a chance to put the silly thing on our heads, we're going to be like, mm -hmm. holy cow. It's going to be like the iPhone. It's going to be like the iPad where it was like, this has changed how I do all these things. And I'm not even, not even aware yet of how much it's going to change things. Um, I teach a lot of online classes and I've got a whole bunch scheduled um, in 2024. I'm going to be pretty busy with my road scholar classes. And I'm really looking forward to the day where I can sit with this on and look around in a room of people and mm -hmm. be virtually teaching, but feel like we're all in the same place. Um, I know that not everybody's going to adopt this technology right away, right? This is no. the price points really high. Um, yep. the, the step up into this technology is going to be pretty big, but it's the start. This is, I see it. It's right there. It's, it's the door is right there. We're going to open it and we're going to be like, wow, this is, 
things that it's going to change how we take photos. It's going to change how we use photos um, and how we work on them. So I'm really excited about that. That's one of my big predictions for 2024 is that I, I feel like that not a lot of people are talking about the technology because it's not out. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. they announced it so far back and then everybody sort of, ah, and then oh, it's become a murmur now. I think once it hits, um, it's going to be one of those things where people are like, whoa, this is really cool. Yeah. Now there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, it's just stupid. Right. And there's going to be right. a lot more people that say that when they come out and, and people start buying them. Well, you look stupid with that thing on your head. Um, but you know, it's, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. It's, 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 I get to sit at my desk and, and have two monitors that are basically the size of my wall that I can look around at. Uh-huh. And I don't have to like hunch over my tiny little laptop screen, looking at my Excel spreadsheets. Exactly. With our, with our aging eyes, like trying to find. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be, Incredible. So other thing I want to mention, you know, with all that in uh-huh. mind, technology is uh, accelerating, right? It's always accelerating. We, we're both technology nerds. And so um, I'm excited about this, but I'm also excited that camera companies are seeing that simplicity is the next step, not complexity. Um, How so? The new Nikon uh, camera, the XF, I want to say it's called. It's a full mm-hmm. frame, mm-hmm. retro looking camera. It looks a lot like your XT3. It looks a lot like my Leica with all the yeah. dials on top. Um, that we're, we're looking at really high end technology that is tactile and, and simple. And I think that that is where cameras are headed. I want to see cameras that aren't trying to do so much for me because if I want to do something crazy, I can do it later on my computer, on my vision system, right? Mm. I can do that stuff later. I don't need to do it in camera. It's all, I want to capture clean, high quality data without there being much technology between me and the capture process, right? I want it to be more intuitive. Uh, And I see camera companies seeing that and making things simpler and more elegant. And I, I love that because for so long, I felt like cameras just had more and more and more, uh, and it wasn't always necessarily better. And yeah. I, I think it's, it's, you know, I think we're, you know, somebody who teaches people how to take photos, you know, I, and a lot of folks who are older having cameras that when you look down at them, you don't have to turn them on and dig around in a menu or dig around in a screen. Um, it just makes sense when you look at the dials and you look at the buttons, everything makes sense. That that's a big, it's a big improvement. Um, so I see that happening in the photographic world. As far as me personally, um, I think 2024 is going to be more about people. I'm going to try to take more people photos. I like you, I don't have any big trips planned. Um, I think we, you know, we did our big trip to Costa Rica this last summer. We may not have a, a big, trip this summer, but, uh, I really want to dig in on more people photos. And then like you, I'd like to get more work. I'd like to do this, uh, in a professional way where I have clients. I did some senior portraits this year. I really enjoyed that. I enjoy portraits Mm. a lot. I've done a lot of headshots and I got to say as bland as that type of photography is, there's a lot of personal interaction that gives me satisfaction in that process and capturing people who aren't really excited about having their photo taken. And yeah. then showing them something and they're like, oh, it's actually look pretty good. I love that. And so I want to do more of that. Um, I want to do, I'm not sure I'm with you on events. <laughs> I would do event <laughs> photography, but I'm not going to look for that. Um, I really enjoy taking photos of dancers and, 
athletes. I'm really enjoying sports photography and dance photography. So I'd love to do mm. more of that. I'd love to do photos of people doing crazy stuff. Like I went and photographed these motorcycle guys this year. I want to do more of that this year, this coming year. Uh, yeah. Seek out people doing crazy stuff and, and photograph, whether it be auto or motorcycle things or, or whatever, or sports. Um, spectacular stuff sounds fun to me. Uh, yeah. As far as landscapes and cityscapes and things, um, if the light's great, I'm inspired. Otherwise, I don't need to do it. <laughs> I'm sort yeah. of feeling like, you know, this morning sun sunrise was spectacular. And I was like, ooh, I would love to capture that. But I'm not going to, you know, not going to count on that every day. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one thing I will say is, uh, it's, you know, we talk about we talk about gear a lot on this podcast. Um, and, you know, we talked about the Leicas. I don't need to bring it up again, but I will. Oh, you have a Leica? I have a Leica. I mentioned that. <laughs> um, Sorry. Having new gear that's different and difficult and kind of challenging to use is a bit uh -huh. inspirational to me. So I'm looking forward to kind of failing a little bit, <laughs> trying things and failing with new gear. Um, that's awesome. I've been using the same system. I've been using the Sony system for what, like six or seven years now. And so I feel like it's intuitive and having to stop and slow down and be like, whoa, that's not, that's not what I wanted. Um, how come I'm not getting what I wanted is going to be, I think, a good, uh, good process for me. Um, I do have one trip scheduled with Road Scholar this coming fall. So I think it's September. Right. I'm going on a river cruise down the Mississippi River. Uh, and I'll be a guest lecturer on this particular trip. So it's not a photography workshop. It's uh, music and history. Uh, and But people will be able to come and take lectures from me while the boat's moving. And then when we get to the towns that we're going to, we'll be able to go and photograph musical performances and do travel type photography. Uh, and then people can get back together with me and look at the photos and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, that style of photography, that sort of traveling music performance based yeah. people photography is really going to be exciting. And to me, I feel like that's, that's going to be a trip for the Leica. <laughs> it's going to be exactly that what that's amazing. For. So, yeah. um, I'm, I'm excited about that. Reaching out and trying some new stuff, trying some new stuff. Yes. Yes. So, um, uh, on the heels of that, mm -hmm. uh, we will put links in the show notes to your classes, your, your road scholar classes. Um, I'm also doing two classes in January, one for Kenmore camera, which is a local, uh, local great camera store where it's, it's an in-person class. Um, could, could people is, come up and give you a hug if they wanted? They maybe after the class, Maybe after the class. That would be yeah. one of the benefits yeah. of a personal class actually, with Jeff Carlson. Actually, so, so I, I did one in November, um, a, a free one. And actually, uh, I did give somebody a hug because it turned out that um, a, a guy who was an editor at Macworld was in town oh. and, and showed up. I hadn't seen him for years. So then we had lunch the, the next week. But um, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yes, in, in person – uh, the, the last one I did went really well. So awesome. I have one coming up. Uh, and then I'm also doing an online one for Rocky Nook, who is the publisher of my Lightroom book. And is that the um, Lightroom course and compendium book? It is the Lightroom course and compendium. Awesome in fact, book. Awesome book. Uh, which uh, is uh, for sale now. Use 
code Carlson40 to get 40% off. <clears throat> we'll put a link and in the show notes for that. For we'll sure. put a link in the show notes for that. Makes a great holiday gift. For yourself. New Year's gift. For yourself. On, on, uh, for yourself. <laughs> if you didn't get one for Christmas, you can get one for yourself. Exactly. It's allowed. And, and, and for, it makes a great Valentine's Day gift. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's not romantic at all. It is. It is. Honey, I want you on your computer yes, exactly. as much as possible. I would love for you to get out of here and go sit and work on the photos. <laughs> I think we're getting a little bit silly now. But basically, uh, yeah, I have some things coming up in January. You have classes all throughout the year. And that that riverboat just sounds amazing. Doesn't that sound I, fun? I, yeah. I can't wait to to hear all the details and get pictures. and Yeah. Yeah. Gonna be cool. Gonna have some barbecue. Be good. Oh, you know I love barbecue. So um, I don't I know. Do. I'm guessing there's gonna be good barbecue on the trip. But uh, that's great. We'll we'll definitely include all this stuff in the show notes. It's gonna be a pretty loaded show notes page, uh, and we do have pages for each of our episodes. So we go back. This is episode 34. So there are 33 other show notes pages at photocombobulate.com. We've got links on all those pages. Um, Links to videos. So if you want to watch us talk, not sure why you would, but you can watch the YouTube videos there. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. We'd sure appreciate it. And we will be back in 2024. This isn't, we're not done yet. We just took a little bit of no, a break. Totally. Yeah. Totally. We are, we are busy guys. And I'll, I would also add, uh, please recommend and rate this podcast. That helps a whole lot. Sure does. Um, and also, uh, you know, I want to thank uh, Chris for sending us some questions. Mm -hmm. We we do interact with other people, not just Chris, uh, but we love getting questions. We love uh, dispensing advice because uh, that's really what we're here for. So um, go to photocombobulate.com and let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you want to know more of. And uh, we will do our best to do that. And when you do visit, you're going to be presented with a little pop-up that asks you to join our email newsletter. So we'll let you know when new episodes drop because we aren't releasing this podcast on a regular schedule right now. Uh, we're both pretty busy. So we do this when we want to do it, not when we feel like we have to. So uh, yeah. if you sign up for that email, you'll get an email letting you know that there's a new episode and uh, and we won't bother you otherwise. So yeah, that, good? that's all we're using the email list for. Exactly. Yeah, we're not going to. Try to sell you uh, Lightroom <laughs> Course and Compendium books or anything like that. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Well, oh, wait, now we, wait, are. we are. Oh, no, wait. We just did. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so I also want to mention, uh, because we're both busy, we do lots of other things, that we will put links to all the stuff that we're up to, uh, Jeff's books, articles, his news, his AI newsletter, if you're interested in that, uh, and then, of course, all the courses that I'm going to be teaching this coming year on Lightroom and photography uh, we'll put all of that in the show notes, photocombobulate.com. Thanks, Jeff. It's so good to see you, man. Sorry it's been too long. It is so good to see you, and I can't wait till we get together again, both in person and online like this. Uh, but in the meantime, like, happy all of the holidays as That's we right. go into this final stretch. And happy New Year. Happy New Year. I will see you next year, sir. I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that was like the funniest thing when I was in fourth grade. Oh, I'm going to see you next year. I, I was telling my kids the other day, you won't have class again until next year. And they're like, whoa. It's like two weeks. All right, everybody. <laughs> take care. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>